Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. We're going to be in week three, and and this series has sort of uh, defined uh, one of the aspects of what it looks like to be people of God, man of God, woman of God. Uh, But we've specifically looked through the the attitudes of of, uh, beatitudes, as Jesus said, that are blessed by the Lord, uh, character traits of people of God. But before we jump into the series... Today, uh, I want to first go uh, tell you what we're going to do two weeks from now on May 29th. We're going into a series, and guess what the title is? Jesus. All right, it's the simplest series that you will ever hear at Riverbend Church. But I'm convinced that in so many ways, we need to represent the story of Jesus, reintroduce people to the simplicity of the gospel. And so we're going to spend five weeks. You're going to hear from some different teachers. I'm going to be teaching a couple of the weeks. You're going to hear from Michael. Uh, Pastor Michael is going to actually preach one of the weeks. You're going to hear from uh, Preston uh, one of the weeks. And so we're just kind of splitting this up. But the story of Jesus, he came, he died, he rose. He ascended and he's coming back again. And so we're going to take a week and look at each aspect. But here's the thing. It's not just theological. It's not just doctrinal so that you can walk away going, oh, I already knew that. I believe that we need to re, uh, re-look at the story in order to find ourselves in the story again. And so I'm really, really excited. If, if you have friends that maybe uh, are, are de-churched, been hurt by the church, been out, or maybe you know somebody and they're just kind of disenchanted with the whole Jesus thing because of what they know, I would encourage you, any, any week that we come, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together every week during this series. And so I wanna encourage, uh, encourage you to invite somebody that, that you would love for them to just get a really simple understanding and explanation of who Jesus is and what he's all about and what it means for us. And so again, I'm fired up. I want to preach week one right now today, but I can't. We're going to finish People of God series. I love it. But uh, anyway, invite them to come. Let me take you back to the big idea of the People of God series. And here it is. People of God, it's the greater identity that empowers us to navigate the brokenness of our world with grace and truth. Here's what I would say about this. It is impossible to define our identity. God says so many great things about who we are in Christ in one statement. This is one aspect of who we are in Christ as people of God. We have this identity in Christ or people of God, interchangeable words, that empowers us to navigate brokenness of our world. It's also what gives us new life. It's an identity that gives us new life. And so, It's not that we cease to become who we used to be completely. There's a lot of things God wired into us at birth and wired into us through the experiences of our life. He doesn't erase all that, but he gives us a new identity and it overwhelms. And so all the old sinful things, the new identity people of God in Christ, it overwhelms those things and begins to make us new. For all of the things that God has already given us, the gifts he's given us, the personality he gave us, When the Spirit comes and this people of God overwhelms us, he takes those things and he starts using it for his kingdom's sake. You may have been good at something before, but the anointing of the Lord on it uses it for spiritual growth, and so you move forward. And so you could honestly open your Bible to the New Testament anywhere your finger would land. You could honestly say that it is God telling us what it looks like to be a person of God, a man or woman of Jesus in Scripture. And so we've been in the Beatitudes, and so we're going to pick back up in those in just a moment. Matthew chapter 5 in your Bible. 
But I wanna first remind you where we were, because this is like you know three weeks ago now where we started. I gave you one word, so there's eight Beatitudes. I gave you one word to help us just kind of remind us what each one is, and here's the first one. It is beggar. Beggar, I am a beggar. And if you remember what that meant, it was, you know what? I cannot come to the kingdom unless I realize that I have nothing to offer Jesus. I can't save myself. My works are not good enough to get me to heaven. The only way I can get to heaven is if I come to the place of saying, God, I have to beg you to save me. I can't be saved in any other way. That's one of the most offensive things about the gospel, by the way. To look at people and saying, it's not saying you don't, you're not a good person or you haven't done good things. It's just saying no matter what you do, you'll never be good enough for heaven. The only way to heaven is to say, Jesus, I submit my life to you. At that moment, as a beggar, you receive heaven. That's the beauty of it. Until you're willing to become beggar, you can't receive heaven. Beggar also makes us, uh, it makes the, the ground level on this earth. No matter what socioeconomic level you've lived at, no matter where you've been, no matter what nationality or ethnicity that you are, the ground is level. We are gonna be separated from God forever in hell unless we surrender our lives to Jesus. But at that moment, we all become people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so beggar, the second one is this, broken. Jesus said, you're blessed if you're broken. You're blessed if you're a mourner. And what we talked about is you have to be broken over your own sin. You can't come to Jesus till you get broken about your sin, what your sin does to you, what your sin does to the people around you. That's what mourning is. The third one was this, I am meek as a man of God or woman of God. And what that means is, if you remember, strength under control, like a bit in the mouth of a horse. A rider can get on its back, and because it's been trained, you can tell it which way to go. There are some powerful people in the room. But what this meekness means is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. That means, God, every amount of strength you've given me, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit be the driver here. The bit and the bridle is going to be the Spirit of God in my life, where you want me to go, what you want me to do with the power and authority you've given me. And then this last one, this is the one that just stirred my spirit so much, holy discontented. Holy discontented, and, and that was where Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, and what we said by holy discontented, there's this stirring inside me, and I can't be satisfied until there is no sin in my life, until all the lost are saved, and until social justice is served in my community, in my realm of influence. And so, those are the first four. They seem so contrary to the early believers, what they thought it was like to be a follower of Jesus, and, and it does today too. Those are attitudes that Jesus says is blessed. And so what we're going to do today is we're actually going to cover the last four. And so it's going to be a little more abbreviated. We're going to kind of walk through these four. And here's what I want you to look for as I walk through these. There's probably going to be one of the four, and immediately you almost feel something inside you say, that's, that's the one that either you're wrestling with or that's the one that resonates with you. And so it may not be all four, it may be all four, but I think there's at least one as we read through the final four and you're gonna go, that one resonates with my spirit. I feel that, that's why I came today. I, that one was for me, that was for me. And so as I read through these, I want you to listen. First, we're gonna read the, uh, the rest of this little passage here, Matthew 5, and then I'll come back and walk through it. Here's what Jesus said. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, 
for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then the last two verses really explain that last one. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things. Some of you feel like that was just Saturday on Facebook uh, right there. Evil things against you because you're my followers. Now, that's the important part. Not because you're stupid, because you're my followers, right? Not because we did something crazy. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And so here, I want to begin and just unpack these four briefly with you. Here's what Jesus said. Let's go back to this one. God blesses. What does this mean again, blesses? It means that the favor of the Lord is poured out on your life. And that joy of the Lord is poured out on your life. It seems counterintuitive because it doesn't seem like any of the Beatitudes would come with joy, but they actually do. So blessing is both favor and joy of the Lord poured out on your life when you are merciful. And then there's a kind of reciprocation. It's the only one that has this. When you're merciful, you will also be shown mercy. You know what another word for mercy is? Love interchangeably in scripture, you could use mercy and love, but mercy is almost a specific way that love is shown, that it comes out, that, that it gets into action in our life. And so I put this in your notes if you're taking notes, because the definition is kind of long, but again, Jesus could say a little bit and then we had to unpack it. Here's what it means to say, I'm merciful. I'm merciful. I show compassion for others who are suffering. I offer forgiveness to those who have wronged me and assume the best about people. The merciful will receive whatever they give. I'll give you a second if you're taking notes because this is something. Now, you may already know, like, you know what, Joe? This is the one that's for me. It's my struggle or it's the one where God's been working in my life or it's the challenge for me. But I want to talk about it. I want to unpack this definition. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, they'll be shown mercy. Part of mercy is compassion. You know what a way to think about compassion is? Compassion is love in action. Compassion moves you to act on behalf of another. The way that we say around Rivermen is you matter. You know one of the ways we define you matter? It's an attitude that inspires us to action on behalf of another person. This week, uh, it was, was kind of not funny, but it was, I guess, ironic that I was studying this. Because uh, I got really upset. And you're like, surprise, surprise. I got really upset because we were sitting in a parking lot and there were some dogs locked in a car. And the windows were down and it probably wasn't that hot. But like, I love dogs, okay? And so I was worried about these dogs being in this car. And they were probably totally fine. But, uh, but I'm like, man, where are the owners? How dare they leave them in the car? Some of y'all feel me right now. You're like, you're looking around there. And it, I thought, I wonder if it's too hot in there or if it's not too hot. And it, they were probably just fine honestly, but uh, I didn't know where the people were, if they were yours. Listen, I'm not going to apologize, but don't lock your dog in the car. And so <laughs> I'm sitting in this parking lot and I don't know where the people may be, you know, where they are. And so finally Courtney was like, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to call the cops. So I did. I called 911 and you're like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But I go, listen, I just called and said, Hey, just want to let you know. And I think everything turned out absolutely fine. No big deal. But do you know what? Here's why I got so convicted. I was so convicted about, I want to have mercy on these animals that are not mine that were probably fine to begin with. But how many other times do I overlook people and the Holy Spirit just went boom? How many times do you not show the same amount of love for people that are broken in your community? Isn't it crazy? 
If you're a dog person, you probably agree with me. In a lot of ways, we love dogs more than we care about the thing that God loves the most, and that's people. And so the Lord started convicting my heart and said, Joe, it's good that you're merciful to animals, but when you look around, how many times have you seen people hurting and people in danger? And you didn't even pray. I'm not saying I can answer all of it, but sometimes all I can do is just say a prayer for somebody or give a word of encouragement for somebody. But I was moved to action, and the Lord just said, you know how God gives you real-life illustrations of stuff? He did that for me right then and said, Joe, when you look out at hurting people, just remember, you need to have mercy there. That's one of the attitudes of a man of God, of a woman of God, is mercy. And so I want to unpack the second part, not only compassion, but forgiveness. Now, when I say forgiveness, what I mean is offering forgiveness first. Some of you don't like me for that statement. Who usually says sorry first at your house? Raise your hand if you're that one. All right, now if you're married or somebody's in your house, don't, you know if they're lying, they're gonna call you on it, right? If not, if you're not the one that says sorry first, I wanna ask you a question as a follower of Jesus, why not? What do you have to gain by letting your pride make either your spouse or the sibling or whoever, what do you have to gain? Jesus here says the merciful will be shown mercy. And I'm gonna show you kind of the, the reciprocation of God towards us in just a moment. But those who show mercy will receive mercy. You know what mercy includes? Offering forgiveness first and early. We don't like that. We would much rather make people have to pay off all their debt to me before I forgive them. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? He paid our debt and then forgave you. Everywhere you wrong me, when you make up the wrongs, I listen, I'm gonna forgive you. But Jesus here says, mercy. Aren't we grateful we have a savior who showed us mercy? He didn't show us just leniency. He didn't make us pay our debt because we could never pay the debt we owe with sin debt but he offers it first and early. Look what Jesus said when he was teaching about prayer, Matthew chapter six. If you forgive those who sin against you, if you forgive those, then your heavenly father will forgive you. We do not like that statement. We like to Jesus, it's just like, hey, come, be wrong with all your brothers, be wrong with all your family, be mad at them, don't forgive them, but just come to me and I'll give forgiveness. And here's what Jesus is saying. Let me get, let me get to it here. Not that you have to forgive everybody before you can be saved. That's not what he's saying. But I believe that Jesus is getting at this here. How dare you receive the mercy and forgiveness of him without extending that to the people that have wronged you? Because your list against God, if you're honest, and, and I'm honest, it was a lot longer than anybody's ever done against me. And so mercy includes being the first to forgive. Here's what Jesus said. If you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. I don't like that verse. Because if you're ever sitting there wrestling going, God, should I not be the one to reach out first? Should I not be the one to show mercy first? Should I not be the one to swallow my pride and put it aside and say, God, I'm just gonna not only come before you to make things right, but I'm gonna let the other person know that I'm sorry for my part in the wrong, sincerely. Not haughty, not mockingly, but listen, even if they did most of the wrong, what I found is there's always two people and I usually, if, I, if I'm not on a prideful moment, I can usually say, I have some fault too. I'm not perfect either. Because isn't that how it works? Lord Jesus, bless me, forgive me for my sins, amen. 
But then as soon as we get up, things start coming to mind where people have wronged us, and you go, that's sorry, dog. Well, get him. Next time I see him, man, I, he better hope I don't see him on the street. I mean, that's how it works, right? Some of y'all like me. You grew up in the country. Some of you like that. But the Lord's just like, no, that's not what it means to be a man of God. You are actually stronger than that. You're bigger than that. There's more to you than that. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. Now, also, a person who has the attitude and character of Holy Spirit mercy, they assume the best about other people. Now, let me check somebody here for a moment. Any cynics in the room, let me check you for a minute. Life can beat this out of you. But here's why I want to challenge you on it. Do you know what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians? That anyone who is in Christ is a what? New creation. You know what that means? Anybody can come to Jesus, even your worst enemy. And when they do, the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ will begin to make them a new person. We don't like that. We like it when it's us. Jesus, make me new. But we don't like it when the person we dislike the most or a person that doesn't vote like us or the person that's been our enemy in the past, we don't like it when God starts working. I even thought about this. Am I gonna be okay if God brings revival to a church down the street? Would I celebrate and pray and rejoice still? Sometimes mercy is a small thing. We stop assuming the best about people, don't we? So easily in our life, I want to challenge you if you're the cynic because I don't believe it's of the Lord. If you've been beaten up, I'm not taking away from your pain. I'm just saying God wants to heal you and make you at least a little bit of an optimist. Some people go, well, Joe, I'm just a realist. No, you're not. You're just cynical because you've been hurt. And I understand it. How many times have we hurt the heart of our Heavenly Father, though? And, and we assume that he's, he's become cynical towards us, but he never has. Every time you come back, there's grace and mercy at the cross again. Every time you come back, there's forgiveness again for you. And God's just saying, hey, be like me. You've got to learn and be sanctified and come down this path to, to, to start to be like me. Assume the best about people. You know, one of the hardest things in our lives is once you've been hurt and once you've stereotyped a few people before to begin to assume the best. But do you know what people of God should do? We should always assume the best. I talked to a, a young teacher this week. And she didn't even know she was ministering to me when she said this statement. But we were talking about her kids and how she starts her year every year. And she said, you know, some teachers kind of get the spreadsheet of all these things that kids did in the past three years. And they know, like, you know, there's a little Johnny right there. He's sitting in the front of the class. She said, I just decided I don't want to participate in that. Because I want to assume the best about every person and I want to get to know them and make my own judgment on who they are. And I thought, isn't that what the Lord does for us? Mercy. He gives us mercy. Bob Goff says this statement. I loved it. He says, the way we love people, uh, the way we love the people we disagree with is the best evidence of what we really believe. So your enemy, how you show mercy to them, that may be the greatest sign of cr true Christianity. You go, Joe, well, I thought it was like being baptized or, or attending church. Well, those, those are, are fruit. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But I think one of the greatest evidences, according to Jesus, that you are his disciple is how you love each other, but especially how you love those that don't uh, like you sometimes. So anyone in Christ can receive uh, new life, new creation. And here's what Jesus says. Mercy will be reciprocated. The size scoop that you use to, to pour out mercy on other people, it's like God saying, I'll use the same scoop. And actually, I think he upsizes it. He'll go, I'll go one more size up. 
I, I couldn't help read this when I thought about it without reading this other text here. Look at this, Matthew 7, a little later, Jesus said this. It was another one of those reciprocal ideas. You give mercy, you receive mercy. Do not judge others, why? So that you won't be judged. It's a reciprocation. You'll be treated as you treat others. There it is again. The standards you're using judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And so it's like God saying, I'm going to use the same size scoop on you that you use on other people. So be careful. Listen, if you struggle with mercy, it's a Holy Spirit gift. And we're going to have a prayer time in just a few minutes. And you can pray, God, make me merciful again today. Bring me back to that mercy of Jesus today. Because I lost it for my spouse. I've lost it for my kids. I've lost it for my friends. God, bring me back. All right, here's the next one. Verse eight. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. So what does it mean to have a pure heart? Well, here's the word that we're going to use for those. These are pure-hearted people. And here's what it means to be pure-hearted. I have a heart that is undivided, completely obedient to Jesus, and devoted to the direction of the Holy Spirit. The pure-hearted will see God everywhere. I want to clarify that because when I read it, I was like, God, we will see you. What does that mean? I will see God everywhere in three specific ways I think we'll see God clearly in nature, in Scripture, and in His church. You can see God in other places, but I think pure-hearted, undivided, obedient, devoted to the direction of the Spirit, then we will see God. You know the thing? So many things fight for our loyalty. So many things fight for our loyalty. In this room today, there are people that live in a generation that's more divided in our hearts than we've ever been in history through all the way back to the beginning of time. And here's what I mean. We are overstimulated by information. You can go look up the stats on this, but the, the, the rate of data, just pure data on the internet and online, it doubles every few days. And they say into the future, it's gonna double. I can't remember the, uh, how many gigabytes, but it's a number I can't even say that, that doubles. So information information, information. Every time you scroll your feed, we've grown so used to it that we don't even realize that it's fighting for our time. It's fighting, it causes our minds to be somewhat divided. And I'm not, I'm not an advocate for saying, well, just unplug and never know anything that's going on. No, what I'm saying is, if it's caused your heart to be divided, then you've stopped seeing God. You could actually flip this around. If you're not pure-hearted, if you're not undivided heart, that's literally what that Greek word means, undivided heart. If you're not there, then you're probably not seeing God. So let me ask you a question. How do you know if you're pure-hearted? So used to, we would answer the question by going, well, you know, I'm not looking at anything dirty I shouldn't look at. I'm treating people pretty good. Like, I'm pure-hearted. Pure-hearted guy. Like, I'm giving a little money. I'm, doing, I'm checking all the boxes. I'm not that bad. Pure-hearted. Let me give you another question to decide if you're pure-hearted. Are you seeing and hearing from God on a regular basis? If not, there may be a divided heart issue going on. And Jesus, this is not the only place that he mentions this. Action is needed. Do you, do you know how you take action to get your heart unified again? You have to turn down the white noise of your life long enough to hear the voice of Jesus again. For some of you that were here and you went on the 21-day fast journey with us, fasting and praying in January, I heard more stories about people hearing from God than I've heard all year long. Why is that? We unplugged. 
We got unified in hearing from the Lord. God, I want to hear from you. There's so many things. Our schedules are busy. Our feed is busy. Our inbox is full. There are needs all around us. People are blowing up, saying, hey, I need you, I need you. Sometimes you have nothing more to give unless you take time to fill up and get singly focused on Jesus. Like Colossians says, Jesus, we will fix our eyes on you. We will set our hearts on you, Lord. And so those who are obedient and devote themselves to the Holy Spirit, they see God in three specific ways. One is in Scripture. If you want to know if you have a divided heart, when you open the Bible and you start to read, do you immediately begin to kind of hear from God or is it just like I can't even focus my eyes on the words? God, I don't even know. Sometimes I have to close the Bible and go, God, I have a divided heart right now. I haven't said it like this until recently. Lord, I have a divided heart right now. I've got all these issues and these worries in my mind. I've got all of what I just saw. And sometimes it's even good things like concern for the church, concern for hurts. And sometimes I have to put that out of my mind and say, God, I'm not gonna have anything to offer anybody unless I get my heart right with you first and get singly focused on you and then come back to the word again. And sometimes you can just read one verse and it's like, boom, you just see God in it. You don't even have to read that much. You just see the Lord in one verse as you read or in one chapter of a scripture as you read. And so you will see him when your heart is not divided. Also, you'll see God in nature. You'll look and see God. Whenever your heart is completely focused on him, you'll see God everywhere. In the sunrise, you'll see God in the cityscape, you'll see God in the clouds, you'll see God in animals, you'll see God in other people. You'll begin to see Jesus everywhere. I see it. And then also in the church, in the church, as you come here and your heart is devoted to worship in this time, do you know what you do? You, you begin to see God. For some reason, your spirit gets lifted and you may even get convicted, but you feel drawn closer to him. Let me show you, Jesus, he, he wrote a letter in the book of Revelation. He spoke a letter, dictated it to the church at Laodicea and he was kind of ticked off with them because their heart was divided, their loyalty was divided. But listen to how he said it in Revelation 3. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, that your heart is divided. You're not hot water, you're not cold water. I wish that you were one or the other. Because Jesus said, whether you're hot or cold, then at least you'd be one or the other. He said, since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth like cold coffee, not iced coffee, but when you're expecting it to be hot, you ever taken a, a sip of it and you expected it to be smoking hot and you, you took a sip and it was like cold, old coffee? No joke one time. We thought, I can't remember if it was women's night of worship or what, but we thought that uh, the coffee maker was set and ready, but somehow it had like cold water in it. And so we made all cold coffee. And so people were coming in and listen, y'all are so nice and kind because nobody was complaining, but we were pumping out cold coffee and everybody's, nobody's drinking their coffee. They're just standing around, just kind of sipping on it a little bit. And I got it. It was like, Jesus said, spit it out, man. Spit it out. It's not cold or hot. Spit it out. It was the lukewarm coffee. And so merciful and pure hearted, but then this one, God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called children of God. What does it mean to work for peace? It means that you're a peacemaker. Let me give you this definition. I am peacemaker. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Here it is. Jesus said, blessed are those who are peacemakers. I work to reconcile people to God and to each other through Jesus with wisdom, love, and sacrifice. The peacemaker earns the reputation child of God. 
So this word reconcile, peacemaker, really uh, centers on this idea, scripturally, of a reconcile. What does it mean to reconcile? It means to restore relationship between two parties or individuals. Reconcile is a gospel term. It's one way to think about what, what Jesus did for us. Reconcile, the gospel word reconcile, it owns this fact that, God, there was a chasm that my sin created. I could never be in the presence of a holy God ever again. One small sin, the smallest thought, the smallest act, it separated me. It dug a chasm that if I jumped off in it, I would die and go straight down and I wouldn't be with the Lord anymore. I could never be with God. But what Jesus did through the cross is he reconciled. He built a bridge by the cross so that we could be in the presence of God. Again, that's reconcile. And so check this out. He said, you are a peacemaker. Another way to say it is you are a reconciler. You are a reconciler. How do we reconcile? How do we reconcile people to God? Well, it's the gospel. Did you know that every person here has a responsibility of evangelism? Evangelism is a word that I was a little scared of because I thought about when I was a kid, that means you got to go on Monday nights and knock on people's door and say, hey, do you know Jesus? You will get shot nowadays, man. You got to be careful. If you don't get eaten by the dog, you will get shot. Like, careful, right? But when I was a kid, that's what evangelism looked like in the culture. But you know what we mimicked? Like in the 1980s, there were people, door-to-door salesmen in the 70s and the 80s that went. And did. So the church just said, hey, we'll just jump on the trend and go. Now when people come knock on your door, you're like, ugh, you know, I don't want to talk to you. So what does evangelism look like? I'm not saying someone may not have the call to just go and just tell Jesus to people, share, share Jesus. But you know what evangelism looks like personally? The people in your path, the people you work with, the people you already know, are you letting them see Jesus through you? Are you opening your mouth to speak it when the opportunity comes? I like when people say, I share Jesus and sometimes I use words. Well, it's hard to share Jesus without ever using words, Right? I mean, God gave us the written word that was spoken by prophets and spoken by Jesus himself. He gave us the word. And so at some point in time, you can't just say, well, I hope they see Jesus in me. You gotta open your mouth. May God give us the boldness to be evangelists because it's not like coming down on people. We're not out here telling people, hey, you're gonna die and rot in hell. We're out here telling people there's a way out. It's Jesus. There's hope for you. I know you're in this hard place in life right now, but listen, there was hope for me. Let me tell you what God's done for you. Can I tell you what he can do for you? All we have to do is share the simplest things. Did you know that evangelism is as simple as inviting someone to join you at church? You may have never thought that before, but a lot of you had invited your friends here. You know what you did? You were an evangelist. You were sharing Jesus with people. Come, come with me to my church. I want you to see how people will treat you. I want you to hear what the pastor has to say from the word. That's evangelism. But also evangelism is this. Let me tell you my story, what God has done, how he reconciled me to himself. And so it's not only about peacemaker. You have to decide. If I want to be a peacemaker, you have to be an evangelist. There's no other way. Reconcile people to God. But also, do you know what else peacemaker is? It's reconciling people to each other. It's awesome how the Lord gives Holy Spirit wisdom sometimes for somebody. He'll, he'll put you right in a situation where you're between two opposing parties. And sometimes it's two Christians that hate each other for whatever reason. The devil got in somewhere, and it's always the enemy. It's never just people. 
He comes in and he divides and he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. God will put you right in the perfect position, though, to come in and be the peacemaker between the two. To come in there and to talk to one and talk to the other, and you're a reconciler between the two. I believe that the Lord keeps up with every time that you've tried to reconcile people. That doesn't mean they're going to be best friends immediately. But if somehow they don't get so hurt that they lean out of church and they lean away from their faith because of whatever situation went down, you have been a reconciler between people. And it's so important that we take that seriously. And you can't reconcile everybody, but you know who you can reconcile, who the Holy Spirit tells you to? You will know if you pray, God, am I, is there anything I can do in this situation? The Spirit many times will prompt you and say, just love on both sides. Just tell them God is good and the enemy's awful. And we hate to see division, and we hate to see it. Listen, you guys have done that as a church. There is so much fighting to divide this work that God is doing. If you're newer here, I was talking to some of our deacons this morning who were here. Uh, there was 12 of us who were around the table for the first year, and those men went to battle with me. We fought in the name of Jesus. There were so many people that are here all the way back when, when I first came. We went to battle with each other. You know what we were doing? We were trying to reconcile people, reconcile people, tell people you matter, tell people you were loved, tell them, come on, Jesus is not just about telling you what's wrong, he's telling you what's right. And so you clear up misunderstandings through discipleship, through prayer, through counseling, through coaching, and so what's the result of being a peacemaker? Well, you earn the reputation child of God. You ever heard somebody say, he's his mother's child? Usually that's not good, is it? <laughs> Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You ever heard that before? Like, Yeah, got me. But here's what we're saying. We know them because they look and act just like them. What if people said, hey, she's, she's her father's girl. You can tell. That's what it means. When, you, when you're a peacemaker, you'll earn the reputation as woman of God, as man of God. There's no way you, you're not that because they see it. Now, if you don't know what your reputation is, just ask people you work with, and eventually somebody will be honest with you, but be ready for what they got to say, all right? If you don't want to know, don't ask. And so, uh, merciful, pure-hearted peacemaker. Let me give you the last one this morning. This one's a little different. So, the first seven are all attributes that we choose in the Spirit. The first seven are ones we go, God, I, I desire these, Lord. Bring these into my life. But do you know what number eight is, the last one Jesus gave us as far as Beatitudes? It's sort of a result of living with the first seven. When you live with the first seven, this one is bound to happen, and I'll show you that. And so Jesus says this, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you. You ever been there before? You felt like everybody's mocking you, persecute, lie about you, saying all sorts of evil things. That's not a great place to be, is it? Well, Jesus actually says, if it's for being his follower, it's actually a blessed place to be. Verse 12, he says, be happy about it. I looked at this in the original language. You know what it means? Uh, one of the illustrations, one of the kind of scholars gave was, imagine you just climb Mount Everest and you get to the very top and you go, whoa, like I made it. That's the kind of celebration he's talking about here. When somebody persecutes you because you're a follower of Christ, maybe not externally, but inside you can go, thank you, Jesus. I can celebrate. Somebody actually saw enough Jesus in me to make fun of me for it. Somebody actually saw enough Jesus in me uh, to, to mock me for it. That's what he's getting at. They actually saw enough. How many of us 
Is there even enough Jesus seen in us for somebody to say, hey, you're a weirdo. You're one of those Jesus weirdos, aren't you? You go, yeah, I am. That's why I have joy, even when my life's hard just like yours. That's why even though I've got a past and my past is littered with spotty things, and even though I've got addiction and even though I've got failure, listen, I've got a Jesus who's given me new life. So yeah, I'm I'm one of those people that's been given new life by Christ, and I can't be quiet about it. Persecuted. He says, your reward is great in heaven. Be very glad. Remember, prophets were persecuted in the same way. When I hear the word persecuted, do you know what I've always thought about? It's like when I I was a kid, we would hear about missionaries in developing countries that were being martyred for their faith. And I thought, well, that's persecution. But Jesus here brings another perspective. He says, persecution can be when people mock you, lie about you, insult you. And then I came across a verse in my 20s that stung me. Because I thought, have I ever really faced a lot of persecution for my faith? Look what Paul said to Timothy. He says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what? Will suffer persecution. So here's the thing. If you live with the first seven Beatitudes, Jesus said, or even any amount of them and surrender to the Spirit, there's going to come a time where just because you want to live a godly life for Christ, you will suffer persecution Every person, if you surrender to the Spirit of God and devote yourself to his direction, you will. Let me define persecution here. I'm persecuted means this. When my loyalty to Jesus brings suffering. So not when doing something stupid brings suffering. That's on you, all right? When we make poor decisions in life, like it's not that God's not with us and he won't rescue us, but still, that suffering's on you. But when your loyalty to Christ brings suffering, here's what uh, I'm persecuted means. I will endure with patience and joy. The persecuted experiences the presence of God because what it says is you will get the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is theirs. What's the kingdom of God? It's everywhere that Jesus reigns and rules. And so on earth, do you know what you get? Even though we can't fully see the kingdom here, we can fully experience his lordship here. And so right now, what we get is the presence of God. The persecuted get the presence of God now, and there is a great reward, Jesus said, in heaven. So we don't have to rejoice that we're in a bad condition. Because I know some people, and you probably do too, and there's some of you in the house And you go, Joe, it was like at the time where I was trying to honor the Lord when the cancer came. I lost somebody I loved right at the time where I was trying to seek Jesus. I was in better shape than I've ever been, and I beat the addiction. I came out of it, and then it seems like all hell rose against my life. Do you know what that could be? Persecution. Your enemy hates your guts. When you surrender to Christ, when you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, it's not always just people that come at you. Sometimes it's spiritual attack. Sometimes it's anxiety that smacks you out of nowhere. Sometimes it's depression that comes over you or it's anger issues that seem to just all of a sudden jump back on you and you're like, what, I thought I'd dealt with this. You feel attacked. Can I give you an encouragement here? The fact that you are under attack for your loyalty to Jesus means this, that you are a threat to the enemy. Do you know why you can rejoice when you're persecuted? Because whenever you're loyal to Jesus and things seem to rise against you, you can just know that, well, somehow in some way, my life is a threat to the enemy and his agenda. And so inside, you can go, you know what, God? It's not fun to be in this situation, but I'll have joy and rejoice in the Lord because of this. Be very glad. And so the result is this. You get the presence of God on earth. 
I read a book years ago that just rocked me. I shed tears over almost every page. It's called Martyrs. And I read stories over the last 2,000 years of people who, because of their faith, gave up their life. And did you know if you turn over to the book of Revelation in your Bible, there's a special place for the souls of those that God allowed them to get into a position to where whatever, whatever, whatever they were in, whatever country they were in, whatever you know, time period they were in, their faith cost them their life simply for preaching Jesus and loving people and sharing hope and sharing truth. Their life was taken from them because of that. And if you turn to Revelation, it says that the altars of those that, uh, the, the souls of those that are martyred are in a special altar. And they say, Lord, when are you going to avenge us? Basically, Jesus, when are you going to come back and set all things right? And so when I thought about that, I thought, you know what? All persecution, though, brings presence of Jesus. Because if you read these stories, you'll find that people willingly gave their lives. Often, right after that, great revival would break out in whatever area where they'd been praying. It's crazy to think. Not always promised. Didn't always work like that. Go read the story of Jim Elliott and what happened after his death, after the people he was trying to preach Jesus to took his life. His wife, Elizabeth, went right back into the jungle and started sharing Jesus. And there, that is a Christian island there now. It's a Christian environment in the Aka Indian area. and has been for many years because she went back in. And I just thought, do you know why? It's because whenever you find yourself under persecution, the Lord leans in. He leans in close to you. Psalm says this, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He comes close to those who have a contrite spirit. When you're broken, the Lord leans in, especially when you're suffering. You go, Joe, I'm trying to do everything right, like I'm seeking Jesus here, and your life gets hit with suffering. You can know this, God's leaned in. He's got a purpose for it. But not only will you have the presence of God here, he says there's a great reward waiting. Now, I don't know what great reward it is, but here's all I'm saying. If Jesus says it's a great reward, I'm just going to trust him on it. Like the guy who spoke creation out of his mouth, if he says, hey, I have a great reward for you if you've been persecuted, I'm just going to go, God, it's going to be amazing. There's a verse that, that, that also, I, when I read about persecution, it always shakes me when I read those stories. But the first time the apostles of Jesus, he, Jesus ascended to heaven, the first time they were persecuted, it was for preaching Jesus. And all of them got arrested. That wouldn't be good if you heard your whole church staff got arrested, would it? Like nowadays. But in that day, they were just preaching Jesus, and they got arrested, and they didn't kill them. They wanted to kill them, but they didn't. Instead, they, they, they flogged them. And it wasn't as severe of a flogging as Jesus got, but 39 lashes over the back with a whip, tied, stretched out, all for doing good, all for projecting hope. And so they suffered Probably their backs are bleeding and they let them out the next day. And I want, I want to read to you what it says. I want to check this out. Here's what it says. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace. What? Why? Because the presence of God was so tangible in that moment. And the gospel was going out so powerfully. It says, God counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. And they thought, God, you counted us worthy to suffer for the name of your son like we identify with him and his sufferings. They suffered for doing good and they had joy. Listen, as we wrap this up this morning, I wanna take an attitude and character inventory here. Think back for a moment. Are you merciful? Just ask yourself the question. 
am I really merciful, like Holy Spirit merciful? Where does God need to work in you in that? We want people to come to know Christ. We want them to know him and love him and live new life. We've got to live with mercy. Are you pure hearted? Do you have an undivided heart? Are you seeing God? Are you a peacemaker? Are you reconciling people to God and reconciling people to each other? And are you the one to be big enough to be the first to reconcile when you're one of the offended parties? Or maybe it's this one, you're just wrestling with it. Right now, I'm in persecution and I'm having a hard time rejoicing with it. Do you know what? All of these reflect the heart of God. All the Beatitudes, God's just painting us a picture of his heart, what it looks like to live with his heart. So can I give you the prayer today that we need as we close? Here it is. Jesus, make my heart like your heart. Make my heart like your heart, Jesus. That's a prayer because when you look at the list of words, you know what? You can get completely overwhelmed by going, Joe, I'm not enough. I can't do all those things. I struggle with all those attitudes. And even the slightest, just when somebody makes fun of me or looks at me weird because I'm a Christian, I don't stand up for my faith usually. Here's what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you're a failure. I'm not saying you should feel guilty about all these things. But what I'm saying is if God's calling you to be merciful and you know you, know, you wrestle with that, if God's calling you back to a pure-hearted place, undivided loyalty to him, if God's calling you to be peacemaker, a reconciler in this world, then here's what I'd say. Maybe the prayer is, Jesus, give me your heart again. Or if you've never had that, but you feel the spirit of God moving in your life, maybe God's saying, hey, it's time for you to surrender to Jesus. And by the spirit, I want to pour these attitudes into your life. I want to pour out mercy over you. And remember, once you've received his mercy, you have an endless supply to give. And so the prayer today is, Jesus, make my heart like your heart. Or maybe for you, the prayer today is, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You can have me, God. Just ask him. If right where you are, you ask him, say, Jesus, will you save me? Lord, I'm tired of living on my own. I'm tired of not living uh, with these attributes in my life. I'm tired of going my own way. Just throw your hands up in mercy to him and say, Jesus, I, I surrender to you today. Listen, he'll accept you. He says yes because of his cross, because he already paid the price for you and made a way for you to be restored to the heavenly father. All you have to do is ask, lay down your heart and surrender before him and say, here I am, Jesus. And he receives you. I wanna pray over you today. So Lord, I thank you for those today who said yes to you. But Father, also, I thank you for those who were bold enough, courageous enough to pray this prayer. Make my heart like your heart, Jesus. Make me merciful towards people. Lord, make me have the heart of a beggar, realizing I can't save myself. Make me pure-hearted, Lord, undivided loyalty to you. Make me a peacemaker, Jesus. Give me, give me a passion to fight, to reconcile people to you through the gospel. Lord, let me be the first one to say sorry. Let me be the first one to try to reconcile in my life. God, there are so many things that beat us up and knock us down and, and tell us that that's not the way we should live. But Lord, your spirit constantly draws us towards these things. So I pray that these beatitudes would be our attitudes. As your people that you would help us to navigate this brokenness in our own hearts, in our own families, and in our world with the attitude of Christ, 
knowing that you say we'll be blessed. So Lord, I pray today over your people, God. May they be blessed in Jesus' name. May they have favor of the Lord poured out as they live this way. God, I pray for those who are truly persecuted right now. Lord, those that have come under attack for their faith. Lord, I want to pray strength and boldness. And God, I pray that we would be encouraged by their stories. But Lord, for our brothers and sisters, both here in the States and across the world that are suffering for the kingdom. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, strength from heaven for them today. God, will you bless your people. Make us more like you, Jesus. Jesus, give us your heart. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.